All right. Bless the Lord. Well, we're uh, into Second Thessalonians. If you haven't heard, we are going to, after we finish Second Thessalonians, we're going to do the Gospel of John. Uh, we're excited about that. Uh, it's been a while since we did, did one of the Gospels. Uh, I believe we did Mark was the last gospel that we did, so we'll be uh, jumping into that as soon as we finish Second Thessalonians. And we, we pick up another reoccurring theme uh, as we're into the second. We're going to end the first chapter, and we're going to pick up a little bit of the second chapter of Second Thessalonians, uh, talking about, again, that, that same idea of the day of the Lord. Um, and ch- the end of chapter 1... I'm going to pick up where Ben left off last week, but it, it brings up the question, and it's kind of the question, how long is it going to be before the unrighteous are judged? How long are the unrighteous going to get away with all the things they do? And I know it's probably a question that has been in your mind. You see all the crazy things people are doing. You see the unrighteousness, you see the ungodliness going on, and, and you sometimes have the tendency to, to say, Lord, how come the righteous seem to prosper? How come it seems as though they don't suffer the consequences of their actions? And, you know, the simple answer is he is more merciful than we can even imagine. And also, God has a timing for everything that he does. And so, we're coming back to that timing issue. Uh, We talked about it in 1 Thessalonians, uh, because remember, one of the things they were so concerned about was they were concerned that uh, because of the persecution they were under, they felt like that was the, quote, day of the Lord. Because part of the day of the Lord is God's judgment and suffering and difficulty and persecution. So they were thinking, did we miss the rapture? And are we enduring the day of the Lord? Is that beginning? And did we miss something? And so they were concerned. Obviously, some false teachers got in and and began to teach that the rapture had already happened, that they were enduring the day of the Lord, and it really concerned them. Uh, And matter of fact, they uh, Paul addresses the, the the problem that some people were not working, that some people were just busybodies. They were just not working and doing anything. Well, the reason they weren't was that they were under the impression Jesus was just about to come back, so they had stopped working. Uh, and they just thought that, you know, well, we, why work if Jesus is just about to come? So they were under a false assumption, false teaching, And Paul is trying to correct some of those ideas. But he also comes into trying to give a little more understanding about what is going to precede the day of the Lord. So we're going to look at that as we go into chapter 2. But first, let's, we're going to finish chapter 1. We have some things, I think, that set up chapter 2. So let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your anointing on your word, that your word gives us life and truth and healing and restoration. And Lord, I pray that our hearts would be open to the truth, that our hearts would not just be open, but be hungry for the truth. Lord, give us a love for the truth, Uh, even when it goes against conventional wisdom or even if it goes against culture, 
even if it goes against what the world is saying, Lord, help us to love the truth. And your word is the truth. And I thank you, Lord, for opening our eyes tonight, opening our heart to receive the engrafted word of truth. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, let's pick up. Let's begin with verse uh, 5 of Second Thessalonians chapter 1. And God will use this persecution. So obviously they were undergoing a lot of persecution. God will, will use this persecution to show his justice and to make you worthy of his kingdom for which you are suffering. In his justice, he will pay back those who persecute you. And God will provide rest for you who are being persecuted. And also for us, when the Lord Jesus appears from heaven, he will come with his mighty angels in flaming fire, bringing judgment on those who don't know God and on those who refuse to obey the good news of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with eternal destruction, forever separated from the Lord and from His glorious power. When He comes on that day, He will receive glory from His holy people, praise from all who believe. And this includes you, for you believe what we told you about Him. And I just want to stop and just think about that just for a moment. He will receive glory from his holy people when he comes on that day. Do you think when you see Jesus opening up that eastern sky and you have heard about it, dreamed about it, prayed about it, don't you think your hands are going to kind of flow up? And then there's going to be some praise flowing out of your lips because you know what's, what's about to happen. And... This is what he's saying. He will be praised amongst all those who know him. Now, you see the separation here. Those who hate God, those who are enemies of God, they're going to be dealt with. There is punishment. There is the final punishment for all those who rejected God, hated God, been the enemies of God. But for those who love him, when we see him, Praise is going to be flowing out of our lips. We're going to be singing, worshiping, because we know what's about to happen. We know He is coming for us. So, we keep on praying for you. Asking our God to enable you to live a life worthy of His call. May He give you the power to accomplish all the good things your faith prompts you to do. Then the name of our Lord Jesus will be honored because of the way you live, and you will be honored along with Him. This is all made possible because of the grace of our Lord and of our God and Lord Jesus Christ. Now just think about the context in which he's saying this. They're undergoing tremendous persecution. Many of them have and are in the process of losing everything they own. And there's under a lot of physical persecution. Uh, They're under ridicule. Some of them are hiding. Uh, They can't even show their face. 
And it's interesting that, he, again, he, he wants to encourage them, but he starts by saying, I can understand how you feel about this. And you're wondering what's going to happen. And so he goes first by saying, God is going to deal with the unrighteous. And, you know, that's the thing. When you're going through difficult times, you know, we need to know what our hope is. Where is our hope? What is our hope? Our hope is that he will deal with unrighteousness. We don't. That's not our place. He will deal with unrighteousness. And he is coming back. He is coming back. And he will receive us. And, you know, he has a plan and a purpose for our life. Uh, and, and just to know that uh, he cares about us, he loves us, and just thinking about our hope. You know, and this, this idea of how long, oh Lord, you know, that's actually a theme that's repeated through the scriptures. Uh, one uh, book, Habakkuk, um, y'all know where Habakkuk is, huh? To say that Habakkuk 10 times, that, that's a it's the only word I know of that has double K in it, Habakkuk. Anyway, uh, look at Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 2 and 3. It says, how long, O Lord, must I call for help? I mean, I've felt this way, but you do not listen. Violence is everywhere. I cry, but you do not come to save. Must I forever see these evil deeds? Why must I watch CBS and NBC and see all this misery? Wherever I look on any channel, I see destruction and violence. I even read about it in the newspaper. I see it everywhere I go. Lord, how long? And I'm surrounded by people (laughs) who love to argue and fight. Have you ever felt like that? Everybody around you loves to argue and fight. And it just seems like, I don't know about you, but it just seems like the world's falling apart at the seams, you know, unhinged. And people have lost all sense of restraint. And they love. They love to argue and fight. So it's nothing new. It was back in Habakkuk. Another verse is in the book of Psalms, chapter 14, excuse me, 13, very similar. Verse 1 through 4, O Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever. Forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I, must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? Turn and answer me, O oh Lord, my God, restore the sparkle to my eyes or I will die. And Don't let my enemies gloat in saying we have defeated him. Don't let them rejoice at my downfall. So forever... God's people have had that feeling, that impression. How long? How long is it going to be? And the truth of it is, is that he is a merciful God. And his mercy is everlasting, long enduring. And it just seems like, Lord, why don't you come and deal with all those that you say you will in Second Thessalonians? That's what he tells us. He's coming and he's going to deal with all the unrighteous. But our problem is that we wonder how long. And you notice how Paul ends up. 
by saying, even though you're going through great trials and tribulations, even though you're going through great persecution, you need to fix your eyes on Jesus. And you need to realize that God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And that his plan for your life is good. And so I, I guess I get the impression that that last part of First chapter 1, Paul is trying to say, don't get folk too focused on the enemy getting theirs, but be focused on your mission, focused on your calling. Everybody understand what our calling is. Our calling is to give glory and honor to the Lord and reach as many people as we can for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, to share our faith with as many people as we can. And as we see the things coming that we see in the Scriptures, and as we see that it looks like the days are drawing close, the more we see that, the more we need to share the gospel. The more we need to tell people, that there is a hope because people are so empty. They are so empty. And God wants to love them just the way he loves us. And so I just want to just, if you're thinking about, Lord, where's my hope? And if you've thought some of the things like it says here in Habakkuk and Psalms, If you've thought about those things like, oh, Lord, how long is this going to be? How long are my enemies going to triumph? How long are these things going to go on? Paul is trying to say, stop focusing on that, but in focus on what God wants to do in your life. And don't miss God's destiny. You know, that's something I pray every morning. Lord, fulfill the destiny of my life. Every morning, it's part of my prayer. I don't want to miss my destiny. I don't want to miss the plan and the purpose and the destiny that God has for me. I don't want to miss it. And so I want to encourage you, don't miss your destiny. And sometimes you have to compare things that and see things that things are pretty unimportant compared to what God wants to do in your life. Put things, I guess you could say, in perspective. And some things are just small and insignificant and unimportant. So don't get all bent out of shape over those because God has a plan and a purpose for your life. Don't lose that purpose and that fulfillment of your destiny for small, insignificant, unimportant things. Uh, And I just put down in your notes, uh, you know, just how can you keep a proper perspective? Just four things uh, I wanted to share with you that I thought about and I prayed about. The first one, that is don't focus on temporary things. Don't focus on temporary things. Focus on eternal things. Because focusing on temporal things, they pass away, they change, they are up, they're down, they're back and forth. Uh, Things change so quickly uh, so don't focus on temporary things. The second thing, and that is our enemies are in slippery places. Does everybody understand what I mean when I say that? If you're focused on how come so-and-so doesn't get what he deserves, just understand they're in slippery places. 
If you read Psalm 73, you you understand that. David actually says, he's kind of talking about again, you know, how come the rich are prospering? I mean, yeah, the rich are prospering, the evil are prospering. And then God leads him to say, but Lord, I recognize their feet are in slippery places. Their life can change in a moment. Their life can come tumbling down and change in a moment's notice. And so don't worry so much about the wicked or the rich or the ungodly. Just realize their life can change in a moment's notice. They can be called home just like that and face their eternal reward right there. And they're unprepared for it. The third thing, and that is uh, what you see is just part of the story. (laughs) You know... Don't, don't, don't get too upset with life's day-to-day ups and downs and problems because we're not seeing the whole story. You know, I'm amazed, and you can probably do this. Think about where you are right now and recognize that God has brought you through a lot of situations and circumstances to bring you to the place where you are right now. And sometimes you look back, and I said this a minute ago, but sometimes you look back and you think your whole life is just over. You're upset, you're mad, you're, you know, just so frustrated because this happened. And now, a couple of years or maybe six months or a year or two years, five years later down the line, you look back and you say, oh, God, that was the best thing that ever happened. That was the best thing that ever happened. You really had wisdom, God. You know what you were doing Because that caused me to get on my knees. That caused me to seek you as never before. That caused me to see a whole new side of how you are faithful. You know, those situations that we go through that we think are going to kill us and devastate us, actually, God is working in those to bring us to the next step in our life. You know, God brings us to point A. But the goal is not point A. God is looking over here, but he's going to bring us to point A, and point A is going to bring us to point B, and point B is finally going to get us to where he really wanted us to. But sometimes we're so stubborn. (laughs) He knows he can't go from A to C. We're going to have to go to B first and learn some things and die to some things before he can bring us to really where his plan was. So understand that our hope in him, you know, it, it, there's more that's going on than what we just see with our eyes. And the last thing, realize that we will never face a stress-free life until Jesus comes. Now, I know that may upset you, but if you're looking for a stress-free life, I just want to tell you it's not happening. It does not happen. It is not reality. You know, we do go through these short periods where it just seems like, ah, thank you, Lord. You know, but it won't last long. (laughs) That's the truth. But, you know, if, if you'll just understand that our hope and our love is in him, it's not in whether I have a stress free life or not. Things happen. That's just life. 
Focus on him and your hope in him. And that's really what Paul tried to do there at the end of First Thessalonians chapter, Second Thessalonians chapter one, he just tried to. He said, "I know you're going through a lot of persecution. I know you're going through a lot of bad things, and and listen, God is going to deal with the enemies. He is going to come back, and He is going to deal with them. But listen, you got to stay focused on what your calling is. So now he picks up in chapter two, and 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 he he really begins to address this issue of the second coming, and of the day of the Lord. So let's read uh, the first 12 verses um, of chapter 2, and we'll kind of pick up a whole new, uh, whole new area. Now, dear brothers and sisters, let's clarify some things about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and how we will be gathered to meet him. Don't be so easily shaken or alarmed by those who say that the day of the Lord has already begun. Don't believe them. Even if they claim to have had a spiritual vision, a revelation, or a letter supposedly from us. I want to tell you, my wife, she showed me this the other other day. Some guy named, I can't, what what was that guy's name, Popoff? I think. It was some commercial, and he was selling this miracle water. A little jar of water, or a little tiny thing of water. And if you will send in some money and buy that thing, and if you'll drink that water, you'll get $25,000. you get a, one lady said, oh, I got $100,000. Another lady said, well, I got $50,000. And they had all these testimonies. Every one of them were lying like a dog, I'm sure. You know, who knows what they were paid to say that. But I want to tell you, it's the most ridiculous things in the world. Uh, and people will believe and send in money to the sky. Don't do that. Even if they claim to have had this spiritual vision and send in this money and I'll send you some miracle water. Or revelation or letter supposedly from us. And so Paul even had, he said they were sending letters claiming it was from Paul. Paul saying, I didn't write that letter. Don't be fooled by what they say. For that day, the day of the Lord, will not come until there is a great rebellion against God. Now, it's interesting. This translation uses the term rebellion. Uh, Some of the translations use a great falling away. Another translation uses the word apostasy. Uh, So different words there. But this is a pretty good translation of it, actually. A great rebellion against God. And the man of lawlessness is revealed. The one who brings destruction. Now, Paul feels compelled to say a little more about this guy. This man of destruction. This man of sin. Now, let me just stop right here. Just think with me. Why would Paul... Why would the writer of the Bible want you to know a description of this man? So you would recognize. I mean, that is obviously the purpose. If, otherwise, if, he did, if it wasn't important for you to be able to recognize this person, then he'd just mention him and go on. But he begins to describe what this guy looks like. 
And if somebody's describing what somebody looks like, then he wants you to be able to recognize this person. He will. I'm going to go back to verse 3. Don't be fooled by what to say for that day will not come until there's a great rebellion against God, falling away, apostasy, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the one who brings destruction. He will exalt himself and defy everything that people call God in every object of worship, he will even sit in the temple of God claiming that he himself is God. Don't you remember that I told you about all of this when I was with you? So he had obviously done some teaching during that short period that he was when he established the church. So he told him about this. So he's coming back and reminding him in his letter. And you know what is holding him back. For he can be revealed only when his time comes. We'll have to talk about that, what that means. For this lawlessness is already at work secretly, and it will remain secret until the one who is holding it back steps out of the way. It's interesting, because in verse 6, it says, For he can be revealed only when his time comes. This man of lawlessness can only be revealed when his time comes. This lawlessness is already at work secretly, and it will remain secret until the one who is holding it back steps out of the way. Then, when that restrainer, and it's interesting, the word here in the Greek is the word restrainer. It's the only time using the entire Bible. That word, restrainer. So when the restrainer, the one who holds him back, is pulled back out of the way, then this man of sin, this man of lawlessness, most people refer to him as the Antichrist, he will be revealed. But there's something, someone, some force, some, some person, maybe, who, who knows, maybe God, who is restraining him. But when that restraint is pulled back, then this man of lawlessness will be revealed. Then verse 8, Then the man of lawlessness will be revealed, but the Lord Jesus will slay him with his breath of his mouth and destroy him by the splendor of his coming. This man will come to do the work of Satan with counterfeit power and signs and miracles. He will use every kind of evil deception to fool those on their way to destruction because they refuse to love and accept the truth that would save them. Interesting. That's the reason they believe the deception, because they wouldn't love the truth. So God will cause them to be greatly deceived, and they will believe these lies. Then they will be condemned for enjoying evil rather than believing the truth. A lot in there. A lot in there. Um, And to me, primary, really just we need to know two things. Number one, what is this apostasy? What is this falling away? What is this great rebellion? What is that, and how can we recognize it so when it does happen, we will know? And then the second obvious question, and that is, how are we going to be able to recognize this lawless one, this Antichrist? How are we going to recognize the coming of the Antichrist? So let's, let's deal with the first one, and that is, what about this coming apostasy? Uh, let's, let's look at two verses here in Thessalonians that kind of address this. Verse 3, 
Don't be fooled by what they say, for that day will not come until there's a great rebellion against God or apostasy against God, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the one who brings destruction. And then verse 9 and 10 tells us, this man will come to do the work of Satan with counterfeit power and signs and miracles. He'll use every kind of dis- evil deception to fool those on the way to destruction because they love, refuse to love the truth, because they refuse to love and accept the truth that would save them. And it's interesting, when I looked up the word apostasy, it, it's interesting because that word actually means the abandoning of a position. And it's in context of our faith. So you have a position, a belief, but you abandon that position. And when you abandon that, it's apostasy. So it tells me something. It tells me that first you've got to believe something before you can have apostasy. You can't just be an atheist and have apostasy. First, you have to have a position. But then for some reason, you have to decide, I'm going to back up from that position. I just want to ask you, think about this just for a moment. I think it's important. What are, I can think of three, but what are some primary things, faith, that people seem to be abandoning in our culture today? It's been happening, I know, for the last five or ten years. But what are some of the things that seem to be abandoned that maybe 10 or 15 years ago uh, would have been described as a normal part uh, of our faith in Christ? Can you think of anything that has been abandoned by a lot of people? Okay, so uh, marriage. Same-sex marriage, homosexuality, lesbians, the whole issue of that, uh, that has been abandoned. And to be honest with you, if you had asked me 20 years ago that we would be where we are today on this subject, I would have said there's no possible way. I don't think that'll ever happen. But yet here we are. And here's the amazing thing, is that if you express that opinion that you believe homosexuality is a sin, which is what the Bible says, if you express that, it's amazing how many people are ready to hate you. It's amazing. It's it's just like, where has our sense gone? Since when is the Bible, since when is it wrong to believe what the Bible says is wrong? And so rather than identify it as normal, as just say, homosexuality, lesbianism, or same-sex marriage. I think we've abandoned the reality of sin. I think that's what it is. Now, I know that is the the hot-button issue, but in reality, that's the goal. The goal of Satan in his lying wonders and miracles to deceive the church and deceive everyone is to... Get us to abandon what sin is. And it's, it's amazing. People are afraid to say something is sin. Y'all are deathly quiet. I don't know. It, it's amazing. You think about it. Now, if you tell one of your friends that you believe this or that is sin, 
Has anybody ever experienced some negative feedback or blowback with that? Am I right? So what do you do? Do you abandon your position? Well, I'm going to say I hope not. Because that's what apostasy is. Now, the, uh, that, that's, that's one. It's, I think the, the reality of what sin is, and we're abandoning the fact that there is sin. Uh, you know, I, I, heard, I heard a preacher the other day. He said, you know, grace covers everything. And that you don't have to ever really repent of any sin because really a Christian can't sin. And even if you do, grace covers it, so it doesn't really matter. So just go ahead, and it really doesn't matter. And I just thought, you know, man, you're just, you're abandoning what sin is. And because it is the comfortable, politically correct way to think about sin. What else? What else besides the reality of sin has, has been abandoned? And you think of anything else? Yeah, stay away from the name of Jesus. Yeah. It's amazing. The religious Pharisees who killed Jesus were afraid of that name. Matter of fact, they would say, don't preach in that name. They didn't even want to say Jesus. (laughs) Don't say that name as if that was a poison word. And now here we are, we've come full circle and we're the same way. Don't use that name. And, and if you do, you start talking about Jesus. Yeah, God is fine because in a lot of people's mind, God is kind of like, you know, God is, everybody believes in God. But Jesus, that's a whole nother matter. The idea of Jesus talks about, the, it brings up the cross, it brings up sin, it brings up the blood, bring, you know, a whole lot comes in when you talk about Jesus. So I agree. That's, that's something that has been abandoned, that just mentioning or talking about the name of Jesus. Anything else you can think about, Mike? Okay. Only way. So probably the way I would describe that would be we've abandoned the idea that Jesus is the way of salvation. And so what has happened... First guy I can remember, at least in recent history, was Rob Bell, uh, and he did a double. He did a double thing. He abandoned the idea of hell, but as soon as you abandon the idea of hell, and there really is no hell, there is no judgment, there is no penalty of sin. God's a loving God. How could God send anybody to hell? But as soon as you do that, as soon as you back up and abandon that position of hell, then you immediately abandon that Jesus is the way of salvation. And so what is, uh, you know, it is the great mantra, and I think uh, Oprah Winfrey is the one who started it, started preaching it on her TV shows, and that is many roads lead to heaven. Many roads may lead to God, which is a bold-faced lie. Many ways don't lead. There's only one who died on the cross. There's only one who shed his blood. There's only one who was resurrected from the dead. There is only one who is the Son of God, the immortal, imperfect, the, the perfect Son of God, incorruptible Son of God, who had perfect, perfect blood never sinned, only Jesus 
could die for our sins. You had your hand up, brother? Yeah. And you know, that's really what the culture wants us. They just want us to believe in nothing. Let me ask you a question. Why do, does culture want us to believe in nothing? They want, they want to do anything they want to do. No holds barred, no restriction. And that's where it's going. It's amazing how it's just like a big circle. <laughs> because society is heading back to where it started. And that is no restraint, no sin, no judgment, no Jesus, no perfect way of salvation. Just everybody do what you want to do. And, and, and if you stand up and say, ah, 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 the Bible. Oh, don't use the Bible. Don't be judgmental, narrow-minded, fundamentalist. You're filled with hate. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing. You, you believe in the Bible, you're, you're accused of being full of hate. And yet, if you believe the Bible... You are the person who believes the truth, and you love people. I mean, you, who loves people like people of the Word of God? It's amazing to me. It, and no wonder it says, and it says it there. It says, they believe the lie. The, the, the truth has become the lie, and the lie has become the truth. So, there is... Coming. Now, and I, and I would just want to just think out loud a little bit here. When it says he is not, the day of the Lord's not going to come and, and he is not going to return until two things, the apostasy, great falling away, great rebellion, and the revealing of the man of lawlessness. Two primary things. And, and the caveat is the restrainer is going to pull back to allow that man of lawlessness to be revealed. So, let me ask you, do you think it's possible that the time of the great rebellion against God, that lawlessness, that apostasy, do you think it's possible that that could be going on right now? I really do. I see there's more abandoning of position of faith than I've ever seen in my whole life. And Christians 50 years ago, 40 years ago, 30 years ago, 20 years ago would never have believed that we would have abandoned what we've abandoned to get to where we are today. You know, Christianity started with Christians hiding from those who hated them and persecuted them. And it's almost to that point again. It's almost like you've got to hide. <laughs> if you take a position and say, God is real, Jesus is the way of life, and there is a penalty of sin, and this is wrong. If you say that, man, you've had it. They're going to come out after you with claws. 
I just want to encourage you, just like Paul did, stand your ground. Stand your ground. You have the truth. You have the truth. The truth has always been the truth. And the good thing I like about the truth, and that is the truth remains the truth whether you believe it or not. You can't change the truth. It remains the truth. Is, you know, the truth about the law of gravity? You walk off the side of the cliff, you can stand there and say, I do not believe in the law of gravity. And because I do not believe in the law of gravity, I am going to step off this mountain. Well, that doesn't change the law of gravity. It's the truth. You can be stupid and step off the mountain, but it's still true. Because you do not change truth. And God's word is the truth. It has always been the truth. And so that kind of brings up the whole idea of the second thing in this, this man of lawlessness. Uh, what do we know about him? What can we learn about him? How do we recognize him? Uh, a couple of verses I want us to look at. One in Daniel 7, 24 and 25. This is a prophetic word that Daniel got, and and I think it refers to this Antichrist. It says in verse 24, it's ten horns or ten kings who will rule that empire. Then another king will arise different than the other ten who will subdue three of them. He will defy the Most High, will oppress the holy people of the Most High, obviously talking about God's people. He will try to change their sacred festivals and laws. Interesting. They will be placed under his control for a time, times, and a half a time. Most people believe that means three and a half years. It could, certainly. Daniel 9, 27, is a very similar word. The ruler, again, referring, I believe, to the Antichrist or this man of lawlessness. He'll make a treaty with the people for a period of one set of seven. But after half the time, he will put an end to the sacrifices and offerings And as a climax to all his terrible deeds, he'll set up a sacrilegious object that causes desecration until the fate decreed for this defiler is finally poured out on him. You know, here is is the reference. Of course, this abomination of desolation is referred to in the New Testament, referred to in the Old Testament. Um, and, And what you see is you see a counterfeit of who Jesus is. Jesus is the one to be worshipped. He is only to be worshipped. But this coming of this lawless one, he wants to usurp God's place. And he wants to blind and deceive as many Christians as he can. Deceive as many people, period, as he can. And God is to be worshipped, but this Antichrist, he wants to be worshipped. And so what is he doing? Setting himself up in a temple. He creates a treaty with the Jewish people because they're the only ones that have a desire to want to set up those sacrifices in a temple. They want to today. Matter of fact, they're even talking about over in Israel. They want to recreate and, and put this temple back into place. They want to have a sacrificial system. And so this Antichrist is going to come on the scene and he's going to cut a deal. So they can do that. But then halfway into the deal, half, three and a half years into it, He's going to negate it, not just negate it. He's going to walk into the temple, and he's going to set himself up as God in the temple. He's going to put himself in the temple as God, 
and then defile the temple. Most people believe that's a reference to him sacrificing a pig, uh, which is unholy, uh, that he would take a pig and sacrifice it on that altar. So, uh, again, this, this man of lawlessness is out to steal from God. Um, Daniel eleven thirty one thirty two says his army will take over the temple fortress, pollute the sanctuary, put a stop to the day of sacrifices, and set up the sacrilegious object that causes desecration. He will flatter and win over those who have violated the covenant. But the people, I love this part, but the people who know their God will be strong and will resist him. Hallelujah. If you know God, you know it's what's going on, and you're not going to fall for it. John eight forty four. for you are the children, for you are the children of your father, the devil. You love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He's always hated the truth. There's no truth in him. When he lies, he's consistent with his character, for he is, the fa- he is a liar and the father of lies. And that kind of leads us to get, get some characteristics. How do you recognize him? Number one, he's a deceiver. He's a liar. He always has been a liar, has always been a deceiver. You know, that is the greatest weapon Satan has, is deceiver. And he deceives people in your marriage, a husband or wife. He deceives you for one reason. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to destroy your life. He works in churches to bring deception because he wants to destroy that church. He wants to destroy families, homes, marriages, church, anything that is of the kingdom of God and builds up the kingdom of God. He wants to destroy it, and he uses lies and deception to do it. You have to recognize them. Uh, he wants to blind people from the truth, and he will exploit your weaknesses. And normally, there's a process he usually does B before he does C. In other words, he wants to blind you to the truth Keep you out of the Word of God, because the Word of God is truth. And if you're blind to the truth, then he can exploit your weaknesses. Because believe me, Satan knows your weaknesses. He will learn your weaknesses. All Satan has to do is just listen to you. (laughs) And watch your life, and he will learn your weaknesses. But if he can blind you to the truth, then he can exploit your weaknesses. So, how... Can you be on your guard against deception? Anybody? How can you be on your guard? If it's a problem, and it is, it's deceived a lot of people. And we know the lawless one is going to be working to try and deceive people. How can you go against deception? How can you be careful against it? Yes, brother. Okay, so that tells me you're really going to need to know the Word of God. If you don't know the truth, it's going to be hard for you to use the truth to be able to recognize the lie. So you've got to be a person of the Word. You've got to be, you know, thank you for being here where we preach the truth. You need to be in a church where they preach the truth. You know, you can't just have a feel-good church and... Happy, you know, make you feel happy. You got to hear the truth, brother. Yes. Yeah. So just that personal, intimate relationship and prayer. So important. 
spending time every morning, spending time with the Lord. You know, and one good thing when you're praying and you're spending some time with the Lord, just, Lord, search my heart. See if there's any wicked way in me. Is there any untruth in me? Have I been believing any lies, Lord? Have I believed lies about myself? Have I believed lies about somebody else? Lord, open my eyes. Give me truth. Lord, don't let me be deceived. Don't, don't, Lord, don't let me believe a lie. You know, that intimate time of prayer, seeking God, worshiping God, uh, so important. You know, it's, it's going to keep us safe against believing deception. I, I love that. You're exactly right. What else? What else can we do to stand? Yes, uh, Miss Diane. And how does that work? Help us a little on how does the grace of God help us to say no? Put some teeth to that. Yeah, it's the grace of God that we're alive every day, that we've been forgiven, and that appreciation and love for the grace of God in our life. You know, when you are amazingly appreciative of the grace of God in your life and what God has done for you, it teaches you to say no to ungodliness. If I really appreciate God's faithfulness and goodness and his forgiveness, that grace of God, then I don't want to have anything to do with sin. I, I, I don't want to have anything to do with it. I didn't want to get close to it. You know, some people always look and see how much they can sin and still slip into the kingdom of God. You know, how much can I sin and still be a Christian? Boy, that's a terrible question to ask. We shouldn't be trying to figure out how far can I Step out into the ice before I fall through. No, you stay on the bank. You don't go walking out there to see how far I can walk on the ice before I fall in and drown. That's not a smart thing. Now, it's not how much sin can I be involved in and still be saved. That's not the question born-again people are be asking. Lord, how can I be righteous? How can I be more in love with you? Why? Because the grace of God in my life I'm so overwhelmed at the grace of God in my life that it teaches me to say, no, no, I don't want to have anything to do with that. Yeah. Anything else? What else? Any, any? Yes, back there. Is that Gloria? Hey, Gloria. Amen. I like that. Praise God. What else? Say it again. Say it nice and loud. Yeah, say it again. They, they didn't do hear it down here. 
So I think what she's saying is we need each other. We help one another to fight deception. You know, it's the Lone Ranger that's off by themselves that never go to church, that never have any accountability, that never have any friends, that never have fellowship. Those people are wide open to deception. But just being in church, just having a relationship and being there, and, and don't believe that lie. Say, well, you know, the church is not perfect. Well, hello. Your grocery store is not perfect either, but you go get groceries there. And one person told me that. I said, oh, I don't want to go to church. There's hypocrites there. Well, they're everywhere. <laughs> what are you talking about? You stay at home, don't, don't associate with anybody because they're hypocrites wherever you go. Don't feed me that baloney. You know, be in church, have fellowship. It is important. I agree. You know, that's where we all together, we help one another. The body of Christ, we help one another. And and we encourage one another to stay against and be uh, against deception. Okay, there's a couple other things. A couple of things I wanted to say. How does deception affect us? Two things. It robs us of our peace and it distorts our perspective. And then I just have this little thing I want to show you, and that is how is the Antichrist a counterfeit? Let's just see this, just side by side. First one, God establishes law. What about the Antichrist? He is the lawless one. See how he is a counterfeit? And then God, he stands for creation. He is the creator. What what does the Antichrist do? He's the son of destruction. So he's going to be all about destroying things. God's the creator. Again, God calls us to worship him. So what does the Antichrist want? He wants to sit in the sanctuary and he wants to be worshipped. He's always counterfeiting. Again, God declares the truth. He is the truth. He declares the truth. What does Satan do? And what does this Antichrist do? He speaks unrighteous deception. Everything that comes out is going to be a lie. Jesus, he comes to save his church. This Antichrist, he comes to destroy the church. And again, Jesus healed the sick to bring honor to God. What's this Antichrist going to do? He's going to create false miracles to honor himself. So just be careful. Not every miracle you see is going to be God. Everybody understand that? Satan has been creating false miracles that look like they're miracles. How can we tell? Who does it give honor to? If it gives honor to Jesus, then you can pretty well bet Satan is not going to want to be honoring Jesus. He's not about honoring Jesus. He's about honoring himself. So if you've got some guy and he's all about wanting to create and do miracles, but it's all about him, pretty well know that's not God. And this Antichrist, he's going to be filled with lots of miracles. Just like Jesus came... And did a lot of miracles to bring honor and glory to God. This false antichrist, this antichrist, he's going to come. He's going to do some miracles. But he's going to honor himself. So, everybody ready? We could be in that period that's called the apostasy. Because of the things that are going on, very real possibility. And we could be close to the day of the Lord. 
Are we? I don't know. But it could happen at any time. So I just want to encourage you. Yes. Right. exactly right we could be there but either way stay on focus stay with the mission stay with the purpose that God has for us reach as many people as you can for the name of Jesus exalt the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and be willing to stand when the world tells you you're crazy for believing that sin is real they'll say well okay so I'm crazy you know that's okay I can handle that. You don't need their praise. And you don't need their acceptance. You don't need their approval. You need God's approval. You have God's approval if you believe the word. Heavenly Father, I pray for the church tonight, all of us. Lord, we are the church. We are the ones who love you with all of our heart. And Lord, I pray that you would give us courage and strength in a difficult time. Lord, we live in difficult times, and I pray, Lord, that you would give us strength and courage to stand strong and not to abandon the positions of the Word of God, but to be bold, to be strong, and to boldly proclaim the name of Jesus. Help us not do it in an arrogant way, uh, not a boastful way, but just to love people and point them to Jesus. Help us to do that, Lord. And help us to be always on our guard against deception. And when that man of lawlessness appears, if he appears in our lifetime, Lord, I pray that we would have discernment enough to recognize who this is and not to accept or receive that person. Help us, Lord. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.